Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. The aged care sector in Australia has been largely characterised by one term, crisis. In March of 2021, the Royal Commission into Aged Care handed down their final report, finding that things like staff shortages, poor nutrition and neglect were common in aged care homes throughout the country. With the election this weekend, both major parties have made promises to address the aged care crisis. But how did we get to this point in a sector that's so important to the lives and welfare of so many Australians? And what are the structural issues that make fixing this problem of aged care so difficult? Nicole Sutton and Nelson Marr are both senior lecturers at the University of Technology Sydney Business School and members of the UTS Ageing Research Collaborative. They've just released a report that provides evidence-based commentary about the key issues impacting the delivery of aged care in Australia. And they join me in the studio now. Nicole, Nelson, welcome to Think Business Futures. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Okay, Nicole, let's start. Uh, It's very common these days to hear the phrase, the crisis in aged care. It's been a huge political issue for a long time. As a reminder, let's begin with spelling out what some of the things that characterise this crisis are, not necessarily just the financial aspect, which is something we're going to talk about more extensively in this show, but uh, the crisis in general, maybe touching on some of the findings of the Royal Commission, which handed down their final report in March last year. In terms of some of the big issues in the sector, we know that there's problems around workforce uh, and there being enough aged care workers. There are financial problems, which you spoke about before. Uh, Out of the Royal Commission, there were also issues around transparency and governance. Uh, So there's a whole host of different issues across the sector. Let's dive a little bit deeper into that, though. What are sort of some of the we hear these stories in the media about this crisis i mean it's it's when we talk about crisis we can talk the political side of things the bureaucratic side of things but we can also talk about how it affects people how is it affecting people in homes so okay if we were to take it back to individuals mm. so there's a couple of different peop- like individuals that are important here first and foremost mm. there are the people who are receiving care and their families So as Nelson mentioned, we've got family members, people who are ageing. We're all going to age. Our parents age. And so at the crux of it, we want to make sure that they are getting good quality care. And the Royal Commission highlighted problems around abuse, neglect, you know, poor food, you know, real big problems Mm. in terms of making sure that, you know, everyone deserves, you know, good aged care as they age. So they're the first group of people that are in the mix. The second group of people that are really important to consider here are the people who work in aged care. So we've got aged care workers and they might be nursing staff, but they could also be what personal care workers or people provide lifestyle as well as, you know, cleaning and maintenance. And it's critical that they actually have good working conditions. They're getting paid decent wages. They're not burning out. And as we've seen over the last few years, that's in a crisis too. The third group of people, individuals that are actually really important here is Australian taxpayers because a large proportion of our subsidised aged care is paid by Australian taxpayers. And if we look over the long term, that 
that that that amount of money is growing and it's 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 getting huge. I mean, we're talking about numbers that are about as big as a defence budget. Mm. Uh, so you know, young people today might be going, oh, I don't really care about aged care. You know, that's going to happen later. Well, you're paying for it now, and so we all have a stake in making sure that that system is viable and financially sustainable and doesn't blow the budget. Mm, absolutely. Let's talk a bit about the aged care business model. Nelson, I think it's important to lay some groundwork before we start diving into the financial aspects. How do aged care businesses uh, make money touching both on residential care and at-home care? Most of the funding that residential and home care providers receive is from the government. So the, the, the government will pay for each resident or home care recipient, and it's adjusted by their level of acuity. So that's their main source of revenue. And then there might be additional revenue that comes from the individual resident or home care recipient based on additional services that they require. Right. So despite the fact that a lot of this money does come from the government, these places and these services are run like a business. They need to be run profitably. They can't, they can't lose money just like any other business. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. We have a mixture of different ownership models within the aged care market or sector. We have both for-profit providers as well as a non-profit, which are usually charitable organizations or religious-based organizations. And so although charitable or non-profits, their job isn't to make a profit, well, they still need to at least be financially viable in order mm. to justify running. So they at least need for their revenues or their inflows to match their outflows in the long term. And obviously for for-profit for providers, ha- they need to make money mm. right, in order to, to give back to their shareholders. Mm. And if they're not, then there's a good chance that they'll ex- exit the market and that will create obviously problems for the delivery of home, care, uh, home and, and residential care in the long term. Absolutely. Okay, Nicole, today the UTS Aging Research Collaborative is releasing the Aged Care Sector Report. You guys have been working on this for a long time and we are coming up to the election. It's a busy time. I know you've been working hard. Tell us about this report and what it hopes to achieve. So this report comes from a partnership with Stuart Brown, which is a private consultancy firm that uh, has been servicing aged care for a really long time. And from this year, we're taking over that report. Uh, and the idea being that, yeah, we continue to put out those sorts of uh, stats. It gives us a sense of the state of aged care uh, and also, I guess, informs policy and practice around, you know, issues around workforce and financial viability. Mm, absolutely. Well, tell us about uh, the results of this report and what they tell us about the state of aged care. Sure. So the report provides the results up to December 2021, so halfway through the financial year. Uh, and in a nutshell, it's not it's not looking good. Mm. What we're seeing from a financial perspective is that there are real immediate and acute problems that are affecting the viability of aged care providers in Australia. Um, there's some pretty scary kind of figures that are coming out of our out of, out of our analysis. For example, we can see that over sixty percent of the homes that were surveyed are operating at a loss. Mm-hmm. And that's up from 50% the year before. In terms of home care, uh, their profitability has declined uh, year on year by about 25%. And if we think of the kind of larger organisations, the ones that own and operate, you know, the homes and the, and the home care services, 
um, they're operating on really small margins. Um, and we're talking the shrinking down to a profit margin of about 2%. So all in all, this is pointing out to the fact that while that we've got some, some real problems in terms of the viability of the sector overall. Nelson, let's talk about some of the reasons as to why this acute financial stress is facing the aged care sector at the moment. Um, what are some of the reasons, beginning with residential care? So in residential care, the biggest cost, as it is in home care, is in employees, right, and being able to pay staff. And that is upwards of about 90% of total expenses. So when we have shortages of staff, and we, it means that it's going to cost more to source staff uh, in order to meet the, the levels needed. So that, that's probably gonna, the biggest part. And we're seeing the biggest jump in uh, employee costs. In terms of other costs, we can sort of see this for most people. We talk about inflation and we can see the cost of food going up and the cost of most inputs going up as well. So it, it, the same thing is happening in residential aged care. Mm. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Think Business Futures on 2SER 107.3 on the Community Radio Network or on podcast. I'm joined by Nicole Sutton and Nelson Ma from the UTS Business School. They're both members of the UTS Aging Research Collaborative, which has just released a report that provides commentary on the key issues impacting aged care in Australia. And that's what we're discussing on today's show. So before we move on to home care, let's let's continue down the road with residential care. So you've pointed out that there's increasing costs you know, with regards to inflation and also rising staff costs, what other what other factors? Maybe Nicole, you want to give us a few other examples. Yeah. So if we look at residential care and the results that have come out, particularly in the last year, we're seeing a combination of both short term issues, particularly coming out of the pandemic, as well as some structural problems that probably are more worrying over the long term. So maybe I can walk out, walk our way through that. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the short-term issues, yeah, we're absolutely seeing a COVID hit. Uh, uh, residential aged care homes uh, had you know are continuing to face increased costs in relating to COVID, um, and that's because, for example, they're having to still outlay costs around um, you know PPE, infection control, uh, vaccination of staff. You know th- these are good costs to be incurring, mm. but you know their cost of operation has increased, uh, and the the funding that related to COVID actually ended uh, in July last year. The other thing around COVID is obviously it's also affected the occupancy, which Mm. is a key thing that drives the financials of aged care organisations. They've got a lot of fixed costs. So if there's fewer residents there, then that actually puts them into financial strife. So that's the short-term impacts. Um, Worrying, but, you know, maybe over the, as we come out of the pandemic, they might alleviate. Mm. The thing that perhaps worries us a little bit more is what we see as structural problems with the business model of residential aged care. So if we want to talk about business models, and I know some people are pretty uncomfortable and they talk, you know, I mean, these, these, these are places that, you know, looking after people that are our friends and yeah. family. But as we spoke about before, you know, we need to think about them as business models because if they're not viable, then they can't, they don't have the resources to provide quality care, good food and so on. I sometimes think about a residential aged home home as a combination of a a hospital and that provides, you know, bathing and uh, personal care and clinical care and nursing. 
mixed with a hotel uh, that provides, you know, uh, food, laundry, as well as, you know, obviously like the accommodation itself. And so that's those kind of break up of those activities is actually how aged care homes actually get that that money, the the revenue streams that come into them are actually allocated to those different sorts of activities they do, you know, the care components and the, the more kind of, I guess, hotel kind of elements. And those revenue streams that come in currently under the regulate the regulatory settings are pretty constrained, um, probably because we've you know we've had a history where the government paid for everything uh, and they wanted to make sure there was kind mm. of physical control. But nonetheless, there's there's kind of caps across all those different sorts of revenue streams that come in. And the and the wash is that when we look at where aged care homes are actually making their money. If we look at the kind of hotel aspect about an aged care home, that's, you know, the actual the bricks and mortar and the food and the laundry, most aged care homes are actually losing on the hotel side of their organisation. Mm. And the only place that they're making margin is on the more kind of hospital side, that is the, the clinical care and the personal care. And that seems a bit skew-if, right? Mm. Because, you know, if I was to ask you if, you know, where should a home make money? And presuming we're kind of all in general agreement that, you know, on the whole, these homes should be able to make a reasonable return so they can stay viable in the future. Mm. You'd probably say, well, I want them to be, you know, cost neutral in terms of providing clinical care, nursing care, and so on. They shouldn't make money, but they should be able to cover their costs. And on the other side, they should be able to make some money from the, the kind of hotel part of their business. Yeah. But given the current policy settings, they, they can't, uh, and that's really constraining them. And it means that to be able to cover the losses they're making on the hotel side, they're having to cross-subsidise from the kind of hospital side. And that's why you see, you know, not enough staff in there. Uh, and that's, what, and that's, that's probably the underlying reason why we're seeing some of the things that happen to those real people, you know, the abuse, the neglect, the poor food, is because of the constraints that sit there. Mm. Nelson, let's move on to home care. How does it compare to residential care in terms of this financial pressure? In home care, uh, the situation isn't as bad or as acute as it is in residential care, uh, but there's still some issues that are arising. So, for instance, the profitability of home care uh, services declined year on year by about 25%. So it's quite a significant drop. And we can see that there's a general trend towards higher costs, but there's also a general trend towards higher costs relative to revenues, particularly for low entry-level packages, so packages that don't require as much care. That's going going to be problematic because of the fact that the government is trying to expand uh, home care services to include more entry level or lower care packages. Interestingly about home care, I assume that a lot of people that would be in residential care opted for home care throughout the pandemic. Uh, aged care, aged care homes weren't the best place to be through through COVID. Is there any reconsideration of how the home care system is structured and how it can be used to alleviate some of these pressures on residential care, Nicole? 
Yes. Yeah, so we are seeing a big expansion um, of home care services in Australia. Uh, so, and this follows on from a commitment the Commonwealth made uh, two budgets ago to really ramp up the availability of home care packages. You might recall a few years ago, and it's still a, it's still a problem, but there was a big concern about the waiting list. And that's still, that's still the case, but they are releasing, you know, packages, you know, they've released some last year. We're going to see another, something like 75,000 more packages are being released. And that's already been committed to. So they're expanding it. And as Nelson indicated, they're also redesigning the program so that it better integrates with what's called the Commonwealth Support at Home program. The service that people know about that one is probably Meals on Wheels. So that's not even officially kind of care per se, but it's providing domestic domestic support, other support services to people who are probably really quite independent. So we are seeing an expansion of home care services. It's interesting you mentioned the thing about COVID and we did definitely see a drop in occupancy in residential care during COVID. But we're also seeing indications that that flowed through as a in home care as well. It's hard to see, but we think what's happened is that there's been a slight adjustment in the sorts of services that clients were selecting. Uh, so, for example, opting for services that are less face-to-face contact or perhaps delaying or postponing them. So instead of having someone coming in to bathe you, uh, perhaps you've, um, you've organised for a home modification or gardening or so on. And that also actually affected in the short term the margins of home care providers too. But to answer your question, in terms of long-term prognosis, we're seeing a massive expansion of home care. But, I mean, that's also got problems in terms of the capacity of having enough workers to be able to meet that demand. Mm, Okay, well, let's move on to staffing because it is probably the critical issue if we if we try to identify one of them and it's a huge part of the uh the election policies both major parties are taking through what insight does your report nelson offer into the state of the workforce we had three key findings in relation to staffing so in residential care direct care staffing time only increased by about two percent although it is an improvement and the improvement is within registered nurses which uh, provide, uh, considered to provide more comprehensive services. This is still well short of the minimum standards that are being uh, implemented. So the minimum standards are basically uh, staffing levels that the government is committed to enforcing. Mm. Uh, and that's due to come in next year. So that's the, c- the first key finding. The second key finding is that direct care staffing time was largely stable over the last two years or so, but we have seen a, a steady decline in the amount of home care staffing time to the tune of about 32% uh, drop. Uh, so we, we probably should clar- clarify that that's over a five-year period. Over though. a five-year period. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, and so at this stage, uh, clients receive about 32 minutes of care per day. Okay. Wow. Righto. Uh, Nicole... What has caused these such low staffing results? Yeah, so these, yeah, I guess on the one side, sluggish results in resi care and then on home care, we're seeing a decline. Um, it's a bit of a perfect storm. Uh, on, the, on the one hand, you have the fact that, you know, getting attracting and retaining aged care workers has been a, a problem in the industry for a long time. And then we had COVID and we still have COVID. Um, and that's really disrupted the supply of aged care workers. So, you know, you've got border lockdowns, stopping migrant workers from coming. 
you have staff being furloughed. Uh, and so, and also, you know, just the impact of COVID happening, like on the working conditions of staff in aged care. And then the third thing is the massive ramp up that's happening in home care that I was speaking about before. So the demand for workers is also, you know, really strong. So you put those three things together, you know, a history of difficulties attracting and retaining staff, you know, with poor working conditions and concerns about wages as well, with with COVID, with the expansion of the sector, uh, and you have a perfect storm. And that perfect storm's probably going to get worse. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting as we move into the election, both parties have, you know, committed to changing these staffing levels, committed to higher staffing levels. Um, Nelson, let's contrast the the different policies a little bit uh, from both major parties and how well they go to addressing this staff shortage. So the key difference right now um, in terms of uh, commitment to aged care staffing uh, between the Coalition and the Labor Party, that sits within the minimum standards, which I talked about as being uh, these minimum standards sure. or minimum levels of care uh, that are required within uh, residential aged care homes. Yep. Uh, so the coalition, they have committed to um, uh, th- three key requirements around the, the amount of uh, direct care as well as the amount of uh, registered nurse time. And so they've set uh, a limit, for example, uh 16 hours of registered nurse uh, being on call at any uh, at any given uh, across a, a day. Labor they have accepted those standards and they've they've actually sort of required higher thresholds. So instead of having a registered nurse on for 16 hours, they want a registered nurse on 24 hours a day. The, the thing about all this is that under the coalition's uh, minimum standards, uh, based on the data that we have looked at for the most recent period up until December 21. Uh, we can see that only about 5% of residential aged care facilities meet that threshold. And if you were to apply the coal, uh, the labour's higher thresholds, only about 3% meet the current requirements. Mm, okay, well, it is easy for political parties to you know, make some really good sound bites going into an election saying there's going to be registered nurses in every home and, you know, we're going to meet these minimum standards and things like that. But let's talk about reality. How is this going to happen? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's very easy to talk about targets, well, for some, Uh, but targets are important and these minimum standards are important. You know, lifting the amount of staffing in aged care is going to drive improvements in quality that, you know, care recipients, their families expect, right? But just having these targets doesn't solve uh, the problem of, well, where, where do these workers come from? Mm. And uh, neither party have actually really outlined how they expect to uh, boost the number of aged care workers in the sector. Uh, I mean, there's a little bit there. I mean, there, there is some discussion about the fair work case that's come, that's going uh, that's going to happen later this year about a wage increase. But you know, and there's, you know, bonuses for retention and so on. But, I mean, you as, as Nelson said, we're looking at an industry, and it's based on our sample, which isn't the whole industry, but we're looking at an industry that 95 to 97% of homes, if the standards came in today, wouldn't meet them. 
And so there's going to have to be an increase in staff. So where are they going to come from? And so there needs to be like attention on how do we get there and things around training, uh, having career pathways, making sure that we hang on to our enrolled nurses. One of the things we saw in our results is the enrolled nurses are actually um, dropping in, in our homes. And they're really important because they're, they're a pathway to becoming a registered nurse. And if we want registered nurses 24 hours a day, then we're going to need more enrolled nurses to get there. But it's also back to those fundamentals about fixing the working conditions so that people, the aged care workers uh, feel respected, they've got good working conditions, they have good uh, working hours, they have dignity in their work and they're valued. So they're not only coming into the industry and people wanting to work in that industry, but they're also staying there too. So, I mean, it's not a quick fix. Mm. You can't just, you know, ship them in. Uh, but there needs to be more attention actually fixing the underlying working conditions uh, so that you have more aged workers and they're staying in the industry so and that they're getting paid in a way that really values the work that they do for our um, for our older family and friends. Mm. Sounds like basically a complete overhaul and uh, I think anyone would be forgiven to be sceptical of a government's ability to basically reform an industry. What we seem to be talking about is for the sector to be profitable, to be viable, to a level that meets a minimum, minimum, minimum requirement. We, in my opinion, should be striving for better than meeting a minimum requirement and having a sector that provides good aged care. That means that our grandparents and our, you know, the elders in our family and things like that aren't terrified of going into care when they get to that age. That they don't want to just hang on to the last second at home and be treated at home constantly. That aged care is a a vibrant industry in this country that people aren't fearful of, that's not under crisis. Is there a way of addressing this, Nelson? I I think we'll wrap up here, but I'll let you both have have a comment on it. What do you think, Nelson? Yeah, absolutely. There, there, There are always ways of improving the system. And I think uh, the fact that this issue has come to the forefront of our attention by the, uh, through the election cycle uh, has meant that you know there are a lot of great great ideas out there and 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 people making good suggestions and i think you know having those minimum standards is a great idea and i and it's just now a matter of c- coming up with ways of of addressing these workforce shortfalls for having this conversation as long as we're having this conversation and it's it's in our in our minds and it doesn't slip into the background um i think uh, governments uh, um, as well as um yeah, other organizations and stakeholders would be able to come to uh, improving this model over mm. the long term absolutely nicole just to finish off your thoughts Sure. Nelson's right. This is the forefront of everyone's attention and not just for the election. Like it's been a forefront for years and it's a real window of opportunity for change. And we, we know some of these answers here. We've got to fix the fundamentals in the business model. We've got to fix the fundamentals in the staffing. Uh, there's an active reform agenda happening. There's researchers doing research on this. So there is cause for optimism as long as the appetite for change and the momentum stays going. Uh, Mm. But you're absolutely right. This is critically important. This is going to affect all of us. uh, And so we're all invested and have a stake in fixing fixing this sector. Do you want to just finish off and tell me where people can, can sort of have a look at this report and find some more info? Absolutely. So this report is available on our website. Uh, So we're from the UTS Aging Research Collaborative. 
Uh, and so you can download it, have a look at it, uh, send us some questions. Uh, and the other thing is that we will keep reporting. So this isn't a one-shot thing. This is a report that we're going to be putting out every six months. So we'll be riding along with you in terms of seeing how these policies and reforms come about and what what effect that they have and do they have that change that we're really hoping that they do. Okay. Excellent. It is such a huge issue and it's been a pleasure being able to deconstruct some of it and understand it better with both of you. Nicole Nelson, thanks so much for joining me here on Think Business Futures. Thanks for having us. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guests, Nicole Sutton and Nelson Ma. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.